0: Hey, what's up, everybody? I am here in person with Marcus. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. So I am so thrilled to meet you in person. I've been talking to you for a long time through email, and um, uh, I think both of our interviews were audio only as well. So this is uh, the first time we've even seen you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't have a webcam.
0: Oh uh, yeah, we'll have to send you one. <laughs> um, so uh, for anybody that doesn't know, and I'm pretty sure everybody does, you are the creator of the open source scan converter as well as the uh, CPS HDMI projects that allow for HDMI output of uh, Capcom Play System arcade boards, 1, mm-hmm. 2, and 3. Yep. Um, so basically, you completely changed the way we play our games. <laughs>
1: well, maybe in some sense.
0: Um, the open-source scan converter is, is absolutely phenomenal. We've talked about it before, but I, I, I have to keep bringing it up because it's such a game-changer. Um, zero lag... The colors are all processed in the original color space, so it doesn't get compressed at all. And now you're adding features like, uh, you know, originally it was supposed to be 720p. Now it's 1080p. Now you have an on-screen menu. Um, Can you just give a little bit of description on, like, where how this project got started and and how you were able to to take it so far from its original form.
1: Well, it started just like a hobbyist project. So I tried to do something that I could use just personally and maybe a couple of my friends. And mm-hmm. then it went like that. Maybe six months, one year, and then uh, after discussing some friends, they convinced me that maybe this would be like, pushed more like the publicity. So,
0: and then. Um, I guess you, you got started with Matt from Video Game Perfection to sell it. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was no audio built in, DVI out, and I believe the first revision... Did the first revision even have the 3X mode, or was it only 2X yeah, mode? Yeah, it,
1: it basically had the, all the like logical functionality, even though it didn't have like audio okay. physically, but the FPGA is the same, and you can run the same code in there.
0: Okay. And after a while, you were able to get things even like uh, profiles added so people could configure it. Um, it, It's at a point now where I think you could go to, uh, you could configure your own and save it to an SD card to share it with other people. Um, How did writing to an SD card come about? Because isn't that a completely different way of, of talking to the FPGA? Wasn't that pretty complicated?
1: Well, not really it's, you have, for SD card, you have like basically two interfaces. It's the SPI, which is the easy and a bit slower which the SSC uses, and then you have the SDIO, which is a bit more complicated, but used in some cameras and etc. Hmm.
0: So you're just using those protocols to write to the SD card, and it's a, uh, what language? Is it? Is it VDHL? Is it um, a Linux-based thing in order to talk to uh, it? Well,
1: the FPGA code is very log, mo very for most log. Bug, bugs. Okay. But then then, of course, the Accord uh, with which the actual soft CPU runs is in C and some assembly, of course.
0: Okay. Um, at the moment, I think you have 10 slots available for profiles. Is that a limitation or is that just something that you
1: had set? Uh, well, it is kind of also a limitation. I think actually it's 15 or 20. Oh, right. Because yeah. uh, they are stored in the... If you now talk about the normal profiles, though, they are stored in the internal flash okay so when you actually erase something from the internal flash, on try to re- I mean when you want to update something in the flash you have to erase a big sector okay and to make it easy I just divide it so that it has like uh, 32 sectors and 16 are allocated for the bit stream so you get then 16 slots where you can stop profiles
0: okay I and didn't
1: erase them easily and just.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I didn't realize that. That made sense because I thought for some reason that the profiles were stored on the SD card and they're just, you're using the SD to transfer them to the memory on the OSSC itself. Yeah,
1: there is actually this web app, not made made by me, but uh, Paul B. In the, you know maybe him from the forums. So mm-hmm. He has this app that can actually write the uh, profiles into the SD card and then you can import them into the OSSC.
0: Yeah, and that that's the app that also allows you to name it as well. So it's not just Profile One, Profile Two. You could put SNAS Genesis and stuff. Yeah. Um and I'm assuming now with the on screen menu you'll be able to see those on TV as well. So if you program yeah, in,
1: well the OSD just mirrors what you have on the onboard L C D
0: That's awesome. Now when you when I originally spoke to you about um uh, I think we spoke about the OSD years ago. Um and I think at the time uh I was under the impression that you needed a frame buffer in order to write an on-screen display.
1: No, not really. The OSD has been a long time in the to-do list, mm-hmm. and now you, now you can see that the to-do list is getting empty. Yeah. And also the other thing is that now the resources of the FPC are pretty much like utilized.
0: Yeah. I mean that's just that's so unbelievably impressive that you've come so far with this. Uh, I'm really I'm really pleased to see this. Um, I mean, I I said it before, and I I, I really mean, like, the product that you made has changed the way that we all play on flat screen TVs, and it's even changed the way a lot of arcade people stream their arcades, uh, to the point where, my my friend who's here, uh, you'll you'll meet him later, he, um, very often in the comments on his streams, people will accuse him of using emulation because it looks so good they don't think it's actually coming from an arcade board. And it's all because there's a handy little product that, you know, you could you could plug into this and, mm. and have it work. Um, I guess there was a bit of confusion from the arcade crew on uh, which inputs supported which voltages. Because there are some super guns out there that don't have good protection um, that, have, uh, th- that are dangerous to use in certain modes. So... If I understand correctly, uh, component video is just the component video standard. You should just use it as that. Yeah, that's the, pretty clear. Right. The VGA input can, can accept 75-ohm uh, RGBS video or uh, RGB-HV VGA, which is a higher voltage, correct?
1: Well, the R C B signals themselves, they are like 70-ohm terminated, mm-hmm. 0.7 volts BPP, But then the sync signals are TTL.
0: OK. So, the the sync voltage on that could range between, on the VGA input, it could range between 200 millivolts all the way up to, was it 5 volts is the max for that?
1: Yeah, that's basically.
0: Okay. Uh, And the only disadvantage of the VGA port is it's not routed through the low pass filtering, correct? Mm,
1: Yeah, because there's a dedicated chip uh, which only has like two inputs, and I didn't bother to put two of those.
0: (laughs) No, no, it makes sense. Um, are you using a dedicated chip for the low pass filter, or, or? yeah? Okay, um, it's not part built into the FPGA. Then it's just um,
1: well, there is before the FPGA there is like the video like analog front end which is basically the um, chip that digitizes the video, and then FPGA also only does the, all the digital processing.
0: Okay, because in my testing, I've been using uh, Texas Instruments based uh, filters. Um, going for direct RGB capture, and whatever you're using in the OSSC works better than those. Uh, it seems to clean up more interference. So whatever you chose.
1: Well, it's a TI tip. Is it really? Yeah.
0: It must be the combination that you're using of of, of how you're doing the scaling then. But that that's pretty cool. Um, and then the the SCART input, um, that's you know that should stick to your basic RGBs voltages. So you know on all of them is. But 0.7 volts 700 millivolts mm-hmm. on rgb but sync shouldn't really go over one volt
1: right well i think the chip actually can tolerate up to two volts but then uh, you sh- shouldn't really <laughs> try pushing it too much
0: right so um now if i remember i am not an expert i know just enough i should know just enough to get these things wrong but i uh Having some, having something at about one volt uh, is what the total composite video signal would have usually sent to it, which is what the SCART standard uses as yeah, sync. Three
1: hundred uh, millivolts for the sync, for and the seven hundred for the composite. Axle. Okay, yeah. so
0: that's why it's one volt on yeah. SCART, and with with some tolerance, give or take. So, mm-hmm. okay, so that's pretty cool. Um, is there any indication to the voltage of the audio input on the SCART side?
1: Uh, well, that's just standard like line level. That's what it assumes.
0: And what is line level standard? For uh, I think
1: it's 2 volts VPP is the consumer level if I don't remember incorrectly. Okay.
0: Because the, the problem that the arcade people were having um, is, it's uh, respectfully, it's just education in that for years, arcade people would only sell equipment to other arcade enthusiasts who already understood all of this. And now because of... Products like the OSSC, uh, anybody could start using these arcade boards. But if you don't have the knowledge to know that these boards are cranking up the voltage in mm-hmm. order to power speakers and a, a, you know, a direct CRT arcade monitor, that's where things could get dangerous. Yeah. So.
1: But usually the super guns should handle like the, that part. So you right. have the assumption that with a super gun you can connect it to a CRT or just any other device.
0: Yeah, so that's, I mean, that is essentially the problem is that a lot of super guns that exist, um, there's no documentation that warns people, like, be careful of mm-hmm. the voltage. Um, the Haas, uh, so far, is, is the the safest one that I've used. But I always remind people, too, that if you buy a used one, you don't know what somebody else changed on it. Mm-hmm. So, like, make sure, you, unless you buy a brand new Haas directly from Michael, that you need to always be very careful and that's why I always recommend arcade enthusiasts buy even a cheap oscilloscope, so mm-hmm. that you could just even if you don't know what you're looking at, you could just test the voltages
1: and understand. Yeah. it Will be safe. But you have just have to remember that 75 ohm termination when you like do the testing, right? Because otherwise, it's not like what you get in the in the end.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Steve from HD Retrovision taught me all of that. And uh, if you go with just a direct probe, you get a mm. much higher reading. So yeah, I use the T connectors and put a 75-ohm terminator on the back. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, so any, any future updates planned for the OSSC? Because you've done pretty much everything that you wanted to do with that, right?
1: Um, well, there is some work in the background and I hope that when there is something that I can show, I will then awesome. keep you up to date.
0: Okay, well, we're, we're all looking forward to it. Um, the CPS HDMI. Holy crap, what an exciting product. That is, that is something that I didn't expect was possible. A true digital-to-digital output of the Capcom play system arcades. Um, I've tested uh, CPS 1 and 2 myself. Uh, friends in New York have tested the CPS 3 as well, and they're absolutely awesome. Yeah,
1: the nice thing with Arcade boards is that you can, in many times, tap the digital signals from mm-hmm. the board. So it's like just a conversion.
0: So have you looked at other arcade boards for potential future products and is this possible for them as well?
1: Well, I think you could use with minor modifications the same CPS 2 board in other arcade boards. But then of course when you look at those like systems where you have the main board and then the game board separately. So then you only have like CPS, title, F2, F3 maybe. Right. But only a limited amount of like those dedicated where you can exchange the game board into that.
0: Right, otherwise okay. you would essentially be spending all of this time for one game. Yeah, exactly. That. So, um, Have you ever taken a look at the Mortal Kombat boards? Is that something where this one thing could be used on 1, 2, and 3, or those in, in NBA Jam, which are all similar,
1: or without no, I haven't looked different? into those. I just remember people telling that they have the 55 hertz oh, frequency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, can cause problems in certain setups.
0: Oh, really? So... Uh, Those are always my favorite arcade games. That's why I always ask about those, (laughs) but it makes sense to stick with the multis. So that would be pretty cool as well. Um, So uh, where it's at now, I believe its current firmware is 1080p or 1600p, correct? Uh,
1: 1080p is the current one.
0: Okay. Um, Are there plans to add different resolutions to that?
1: Uh, Yeah, not that the OSD was done for the ossc so that can be easily ported to the cps project as well so now you can easily have an interface where you can change things Mm -hmm. and in the hardware itself there have been there has been the support for multiple resolutions all the time just that with two buttons and no like on-screen feedback it's like (laughs) you don't want to do those button combinations to change things so that's why it's been a bit postponed
0: no that that totally makes sense and it's uh, that's going to be another great feature, too, because um, some of the different streamers use different resolutions for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people even want the original so that they can manipulate the image the way that they want it. And uh, it's just very exciting that we have this choice, because even for home users now, rather than messing with a super gun, um, you could just put out or use that basic I.O. interface and power it with you know a power brick, and that's it. Now you just plug it right into your HD monitor and you're able to enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Um, How did you deal with the aspect correction, because, um, I'll try to explain this simply. For people that haven't watched any of the other videos, um, resolution didn't matter on CRTs. No matter how wide a resolution, it was always drawn in a square and you just end up with more detail. So uh, in CRT-based games, more resolution meant more detail, not
1: a wider aspect. Um, And you get the aspect ratio perfect. Um, Well, it's almost perfect, but it's more to do with luck and the modes it currently uses. Because it's now integer scaled. Right. So if you want to do something like only 2x Mm -hmm. vertical, then you would really have the correct aspect trace um, with that. Okay. So you would need to do some filtering and interpolation.
0: So um, it's an integer scale vertical and horizontally? Yep. Okay, but the aspect seems correct on my TV.
1: Yeah, because with the five X basically it's doing vertical. You have a matching horizontal. I think it was four X, which gives you that pretty much the correct aspect ratio. So, so just
0: it's you just got lucky that it was four X yeah. and five X ended up being right. Yeah, pretty much, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, the those products are available from Video Game Perfection as well for now. Yeah,
1: and you can always buy one of one of those yourself if you want. It's a bit simpler to build than OSSC.
0: Right. So that's a completely open source project as well, right? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people seem to think that if they open source a product, they can't sell it or, or they won't sell as many. But that's definitely not, at least in a small community like retro gaming, that's not what i see. Yeah, I've it seen.
1: depends, but at least for those products, I haven't like have any regrets putting them as open source. Cool.
0: Um, have you have you seen any of the OSSC clones that are out there now? Have you taken a look? Yeah, at a couple
1: of those.
0: I've seen ones uh, from AliExpress, and I've seen one from a company in Europe. I think that's just out there cloning a bunch of stuff now. Um, do you have any, any thoughts or any comments on the quality or, or anything like that?
1: Well, at least uh, once sold in Aliexpress, I took a look and, well, it wasn't very convincing. Basically, everything was there, but the components weren't like the originals. They were probably a bit lower quality and then the PCB itself was quite dirty. Oh, yeah. But basically, it worked still, but but when you can like save 20 bucks from buying there. So I don't know whether it's worth, worth that risk.
0: You know, it's my strong opinion that no, it's not worth it's not worth yeah. the risk. If well, you're going to spend money on a good. That's the that
1: buyer's decision. So true. I try to be neutral on this.
0: So is um is the open source? The last time we talked about this, the open source scan converter meant open source software, so you could program it as much as you want, and you were willing to share the design with anybody in the community. But it wasn't just posted on GitHub somewhere. Um, with the clones out there now, is it? Are you just fully open sourcing it, or are you just leaving the, the files the way they are?
1: Uh, you mean, I think the servers have been there almost since day one. The very first revisions, I didn't put the gerbers available, mm-hmm. but quite soon after that, they were put available when we had like our own selling process in place. Okay. So we, we were already thinking on day one that somebody from China does this and copies in and tries to sell.
0: Yeah, We were not, like,
1: super worried, but we still knew that it could happen, but it took quite many years, actually, to happen. I was surprised.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really surprised in that, because if you have a good product that's available for a decent price, they don't usually get cloned. The Mm. products that you generally see cloned... And there's always
1: exceptions, of course, but it's mm-hmm.
0: the ones that everybody wants, but that you can't you can't get, or they're super expensive. Yeah, so. either
1: the availability or price is not very good, so that's when the, some people see their chance.
0: Yeah, but no, the OSSC has always been fairly priced. It's even come down in price as the years have gone by, so that's pretty cool. I think, you know, uh, one thing that I always mention whenever I talk to you is a few years ago we were all having a discussion on the Schmups Forum about about... How much of the project's open source, and I think so many people interpreted that as an argument, <laughs> and we were just talking. Mm. And there were other people on the forum jumping in, thinking, uh, thinking there was a problem. But no, I've, uh, I've, I've always respected the way that you and Matt have rolled out the whole project and everything like that. And uh, I, I just, uh, I think it's very cool that that not only do you have these products, but you're willing to share. I, I mean, I've seen you help plenty of people with their own projects as well on this stuff. So you know, thank you. It's very cool that you approach these things that way. Um, do you have any other products coming up or anything that you'd be willing to talk about? I know you, know, you don't want to talk about things that are in, uh, in <laughs> development, but anything you've been thinking about?
1: Oh, well, there have been a couple of things, but not really something I can share at this moment. So, Well, there was at least one cvbs 2 R C B thing that I just made for fun and it basically used an analog transcoder which was uh, taken it into from a crt and it's not ready yet but it's just some project that i do someday it, it will yeah. be not like going to be for sale because you don't get those ICs anywhere right but yeah it's just for fun
0: so you said that um that was composite to rgb yeah and s video is that the core project that matt had posted about or is that a different thing
1: well, it's a bit similar in the idea, but uh, that's like using analog to digital and then back to analog. Okay. So that uses, um, like, digitization. But the one chip from the CRT, that's an analog transcoder. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have the delay line there, which uses, uh, is used for the comp filtering, but you don't have to use that. You can disable it if you want. So then it like, should be fully analog.
0: So... Um it stays in the analog domain and when you say the delay line for the filtering you're you're only delaying it a few lines not a few frames oh, right.
1: uh, well that's basically not delaying the data it's like for use for the comb filtering so and it's a digital delay line so that's why i say it's like um, digital for use that okay but that's basically summing up the previous line or parts of that yeah i think for comb filtering you use usually for cvbs
0: that's a pretty cool idea. It's, um, that's a neat project, too, because that's the only thing that you could say is missing from the OSSC is composite and S-video. Um, and I you know I, if I were you, I wouldn't have included it anyway, because it would just add cost for something that not everybody would use. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's cool that you have something like that in mind. Yeah,
1: that is something I will, of course, share when it's like finished. But uh, I don't expect to be selling those, because you can't get those Philips ICs anywhere, other than yeah. like, disassembling some specific televisions.
0: Yeah, th- you could find a lot of chips like that um, from China, and mm. what you normally would find is you will buy fifty of them, and thirty-five work, yeah. and then fifteen don't. Uh, it's <laughs> probably
1: not worth the effort. You have RetroTink at nowtekoru, so yeah, you already have solutions for this. So that's just more for our curiosity.
0: Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did find that um, when I, when I originally tested the RetroTink through the OSSC, I used the VGA input, forgetting about the filter. Uh, so now that I now that I went back using HDMI out uh, direct one-to-one pass-through mode to the component video input of the OSSC is the better move because you get the, the filtering and everything so sorry and uh, the thing must have been shaken up coming out of the machine <laughs> um, so uh, have you looked into 4k scaling any uh, as well in the last time I think we spoke about this, the chips were so expensive that it would be not a feasible product at that time.
1: Well, it depends on which chip you mean. Of course, you get those 1080p to 4K chips, which can do scaling, but they are usually designed for film. And basically, you have those same, same chips already in television. But if you talk about 4K-capable FPCS, yes, then those are ex- extremely expensive, and the tools also you need for development.
0: Right. So there isn't um, there isn't an integer scale chip out there that would go ten eighty p to four k.
1: Well, maybe you can do integer integer scaling even with a um, bit less spec fpca. But of course, if you go into four k, you want to be also like using some more than inter- integer scaling. So
0: yeah, yeah, it's you know it's it's tricky because four k TVs came out before. The rest of the industry was ready for 4K, so even 4K Blu-ray discs that you get now are very often uh, mastered in 2K and then upscaled. Yeah. So it's you know, it's good and bad, I guess. You know, the more resolution, you know, the, the better. But you, in order to really take advantage yeah. of it, you need the scaling. Yeah, not
1: all TVs support 444, 4, 4, and there are like limitations. HDMI okay. 2.1 is coming. Oh, okay, it's kind of it is already, but how many TVs properly support that?
0: Yeah, it's going to be another year before more TVs yeah. start
1: to have that. So, so for this kind of projects, it's a bit too early to look into maybe 4K. Yeah,
0: and it's funny too because 8K TVs, you know, they're very expensive, but they're starting to get rolled out. So, mm-hmm. I feel like once the 4K technology is here. 8K TVs will be
1: here. <laughs> so, you know, we're always trying to catch up with something else in technology, it feels like. Yeah, let's hope it's not turned into the megapixel race as was in the digital cameras. Oh, I know. That was so at first it was kind of cool and then it was just
0: so useless. Once it got past mm-hmm. a certain point, it didn't matter at all. So. So, um what uh, so you're in Finland, right? Um what do you do programming and hardware for your day job?
1: Mm, yeah, you could say so.
0: Oh, okay. So that's how you get the experience to do stuff like this?
1: Yeah, well, by studying stuff like this. So, yeah, of course. That's pretty That's cool. part of it.
0: It's funny, because when you talk to people in the retro gaming scene that create stuff like this, it's, it's usually one or the other. It's usually, you know, yes, this is kind of what I do for a living, so it's natural. Or it's usually somebody that does something completely different for a living, and this is their, their passion and their project to it. So kind of neat to hear that um uh what made you start with the uh the cps stuff were you just an arcade enthusiast as well
1: well actually it wasn't my idea (laughs) so i was sent this board and request to make this kind of thing after like i was i had already started ossc and then then maybe you know undammed
0: oh of course yeah
1: got the board from him and then I started to look into the CPS 2 and how could I do that. Oh, it t- took quite a lot of time because it was only like in the back burner mm-hmm. quite a long. So I didn't have too much time at first, but it's taken some years. But now I think the hardware is pretty much final. That's pretty so cool. So now it's just like writing the features.
0: Huh, that's really funny. So you kind of built the OSSC for yourself and for your friends. And then somebody just said, hey, can you do this too? <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I don't know, is there any other, uh, any thoughts or anything about the retro gaming scene, any things that are making you, uh, excited or things that you're looking forward to?
1: Well, in general, it has been interesting to follow things in the last 10 years. Yeah. 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 Everything has changed so much. Yeah. Because 10, 50 years ago, it looked like not too many people are actually playing these old games mm. anymore. But then things started to change. Mm-hmm. It's was kind of surprising.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's kind of how life goes, though. It's first something's new and exciting, mm. and then it's kind of, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. And people start to forget about it, and then people realize which part of that was good and which part wasn't. So then it's like classic cars, right? Mm. Some cars are terrible, and when they die, you never see them again, and others get restored and celebrated and stuff like that, upgraded like we do with the consoles. So it's kind of funny to see that in different industries, uh but it follows the same pattern of, you know, sometimes people just recognize something cool for what it is. What's uh what's your favorite console?
1: Well, that's a good question. <laughs> it depends for maybe for one player games, it's Super Nintendo and then for multiplayer games, probably N64 or Dreamcast.
0: That's a cool answer. That's uh yeah, that's it's probably the same uh, for me for Super Nintendo for multiplayer stuff um, it was arcade stuff for me because I didn't grow up um, I grew up going to arcades whenever we could but I didn't live in walking distance of the bigger arcades so that was always so exciting for me as a kid whenever you could play against somebody or you know I was never good at fighting games but I really enjoyed them so it was stuff like that's always fun racing games I think Daytona the four Four-player Daytona, where you can race against each other. That was my favorite arcade game for a long yeah, time. And
1: it's interesting that back, at least back in Finland, they are now like opening some retro arcades. Are they really? Yeah.
0: Do they have any uh, any conferences or anything over there like that in Finland yet?
1: Mm, not really. No. Maybe Despite. we'll maybe we'll
0: start one. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. Well, cool. Well, of course, there's
1: like demo skin and you know those kind of gatherings, and of course, some people also like play games. Yeah. So I would say those are the I think you see in Finland much more.
0: Yeah, that's right. A lot of the demo scene stuff does come from there. There's so many cool. I didn't really know that existed until after I started the website. And I, I was so impressed by the, the limitations that were pushed I don't know, using those. Yeah, I would never expect that a Sega Genesis would be able to do something like that, like the Titan demo and all that stuff. It was really impressive. So. Do you um do you mod your consoles as well? Do you do these RGB upgrades and audio upgrades? Yeah,
1: and stuff? I've done them like last twenty years or something. Oh, really? So yeah.
0: So uh, uh what's the upgrade to you that's that's made the biggest difference? You think?
1: Mm, that's a good question.
0: I mean, I guess it would be an easy answer would be any console that didn't have RGB that yeah. has RGB now.
1: Well, I think for the N sixty four. At least for me, the RCB and then also the like, region free. And that yeah. was like kind of hard hard mode, uh, 15 years ago because basically, uh, you combine two N64s or basically took a chip from one N64 which is from different on than the main one and then, like combine those into the into one.
0: Yeah, and that's much easier nowadays. You don't need to cannibalize another N64. Yeah,
1: M64. you can just use the power pack or ever drive.
0: Right. Yeah a lot of progress with the N64. Um, you know, Tim, with the original board, that was able to pull RGB from every console, and now Bordy is built upon that with his own, that can do, uh, I think, 480p, as well as the de-blur stuff. It's, um, do you prefer to play N64 w- uh, with the blur on or the blur off?
1: Well, depends on how big display, and like uh, depends on a bit game, so I don't have a clear answer to that, but... The problem is that with N64 you have very few 2D games where you would really mm. benefit from the d blur. True. But of course it's understandable considering the time when it was released. So,
0: Yeah. It, for me, I don't play the N64 that often, but when I play on an RGB monitor, um, I like the sharp look. So I, I like to turn mm. the blur off. But whenever I use Ultra HDMI, I, I do use the filtering that Marshall built into mm. that so that it does make it it seems a little easier to look at on a flat screen TV. Yeah. Hmm. Um So I guess I don't know, I'm just excited that I get to to meet you in person and do this, but uh thank you very much for coming, thank yeah. you for hanging out. Um is there I guess is there anything that uh, that you would have wanted to say that I forgot to ask or anything like that?
1: I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you, uh, are you on any social media at all, or are you just well, on Well, not
1: forums? really. I prefer to keep a bit low profile, so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sorry for sticking cameras in your face then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, it was absolutely awesome hanging out. And uh, of course, as always, I will keep everybody in the loop of all the projects that you've been working on. And I will, as soon as the OSD is released, have a video showcasing your CPS HDMI kits, because that is so amazingly impressive. So thank you again okay. very much. Thanks.